Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It's May 1st. The year is flying by. We're five months in already. I can't believe it. But man, what a great way we have to kick off the month of May. Carmine a peace. I'll call him Apathy if you like. Both of those names really aren't the way you say it compared to the real name. But Carmine a peace is on the show tonight. We have Falco from Wicked Mariah, a killer band out of the New York area back in the day, who's back with a new old record. And we'll talk to Falco about that later. We actually spoke during the week. The interview was pre-recorded. Uh, so we'll get that on towards the end of the show. And my boys from August Red Moon, Gary Winslow will be on the show. Jay is coming on. Luke and I believe Dave. We got the whole band on here, I think, almost. So stick around. They'll be on live in the middle of the show. We'll get to as much music as we can tonight with all these interviews. I don't know how much we can get on, but right there, Raven with Break the Chains, one of my all-time favorite bands. And man, did they have a great 2015. The uh, the Extermination record did really well for them, kind of brought them back to the forefront again, where they should have always been because they're just a classic outfit. And they toured like crazy in 2015. Hopefully this year will be the same and we'll get a new record by the guys next year. I'm looking forward to that. All right, let's get some music flowing here while I get a few things in order. And uh, you know what? We had a lot of requests last week, so uh, let's start getting all of those on for everybody. Uh, let's start off. Uh, Dave Bell wanted to hear something from the last Enforcer record. Let's get on the title track from that, Far Beyond. And then all my boys in the chat wanted to hear some stuff. We'll get that on right after this.
All right, in that set right there, we kick things off with Enforcer from Beyond for Dave. After that, Attitude Adjustment from the brand new record Terrorizer with End of the Endless Life for John. And Iman wanted to hear Majesty with Keep It True. The festival just concluded this weekend. It was pretty cool to see some of the pictures. I'm hoping some video goes up of some of the bands soon. I really want to see some of the video on Thrust. I'm going to check them out and see how they sounded on there. And uh, next year, I know Iman is looking to get over there to the Keep It True Festival. That should be a, a pretty cool adventure if he's able to do it. Uh, I would love to head over to Germany myself for the weekend and see that show. They put up the list of the bands that are going to be playing next year, all but one, which was a surprise headline, which they're going to announce, I think, in the fall. Uh, but don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Sarah Thungle. Uh, I don't know why, but I just looking at the rest of the lineup, I just see them fitting in there. So you never know. That's who it could be. But we're going to have to wait until the end of the year to find out for sure. And that's the 20th anniversary. So great show, great festival. But there's a lot of them going on right now. And that's just one of many. Ragnarok is also this weekend. Jack Pans is going to be there. That's going to be great. Uh, Jack Pans is also coming here to New York. The date which changed until uh, July 10th, I believe, at the St. Vitus Bar. I am definitely looking forward to seeing those guys live. They're one of the bands from the 80s that I never uh, got to see live. And I, I can't wait for that show to come up. It's going to be a great one. All right. Uh, some of my friends on Facebook were talking about the Megadeth show in, uh, in Puerto Rico the other day, uh, about how Dave Mustaine wasn't uh, sounding right or looking right or playing right. And I looked at some of the videos, and it was hard for me to tell because they weren't the greatest quality. Uh, but I heard somebody on uh, Blabbermouth uploaded more videos of the song, so I want to check it out. They said that he was slurring his words. Uh, he was forgetting the lyrics. Uh, his guitar playing was completely off. A lot of people said he was drunk off the wagon. I don't know if that's true or not. And I hate to say that, you know, just uh, saying stuff for the sake of saying it. But he could have just been sick and having a really off night. Who the hell knows what's going on? Nobody knows. But uh, according to the people, they were saying it was a really, really terrible show. Uh, so, but the people that saw them here in New York a few days before that swore it was an amazing show. So, uh, I just think the guy might've been having an off night and maybe he wasn't feeling well too. You, you never know, but we'll, we'll see if anything else comes out of it. There was no mention of it on any of the metal websites. It was just people talking about it on Facebook and in some of the, the metal forums. So, uh, we'll have to see what uh, comes out of that. Also, uh, I see that Scorps got Mickey D to play drums for them for the remaining uh, dates on the U.S. festival, on uh, the U.S. festival. Yeah, the U.S. tour. I'm thinking of the U.S. festival. That was around this time, many decades ago also. But uh, Mickey D is going to be playing drums. I think they have like 13 or 14 dates left on the tour. Uh, they said James Kotak needs to get healthy. Uh, so I don't know if he had gotten hurt or if it's being healthy means, you know, getting clean again because he's been in and out of rehab quite a bit. His last stint was about a year or so ago when he hadn't gotten in trouble in Dubai and they actually put him in jail and he came back and went to alcohol rehab. Uh, and I guess he didn't get clean after that. Or maybe he just really is sick. I don't know. Usually when bands say he needs to get healthy, it's just another way of saying going to rehab. Uh, who the hell knows? But James was a great guy. We had him on the show. Uh, he invited me and Tommy to go see them at the metal uh, and they play out in New Jersey and we got to go backstage and hang out with him. He was a really funny guy, and a really cool guy to hang out with. So I uh, hope he gets better. But you know what? Having Mickey D on drums, that's not a bad deal either. And it would be great if Mickey D would actually get back with King Diamond. I mean, he actually started out with King Diamond in the early days of the solo band. Uh, but King has, uh, I forget who the drummer is for the King Diamond band right now. Uh, but he's been playing with him for a long time, and he's a fellow Texas native, so they're probably very close, and I don't see it happening. But that would be a pretty cool thing, I'd have to say. All right, let's get some more music on here. And then we're going to get to Carmine in about five minutes or so. Is it 20 after? Yeah, about 10 minutes. Enough time for one or two more tunes. How about we do some, uh, I don't know what the hell to play here. How about we do some Surgical Steel? 
All right, Razor with Survival of the Fittest, the band just headlined the kids. Ah, I forgot all about that part. <laughs> all right, Razor, we were just saying headlined the Keep It True Festival 19 uh, last night. That show was over and done with. Uh, right before that, Kill Van Call. They were a pretty cool band out of Staten Island. There's still out of Staten Island and they're still together today, but they're more like a rock and roll type of band. Uh, they had those two records out in the 80s. And now I got like saxophones in there and they're doing a whole different thing right now. But it was a pretty cool record with Burn It Up. And right before that, Surgical Steel with Crank It Up. I think we get two in-ups in there for you. And they were such an amazing band. They had Rob Halford behind them. Uh, just amazing musicians. It just never worked out for them. And that's just, you know, the way it goes in the business sometimes. Is it being in the right place at the right time? You know, draw the, the luck of the draw, whatever you want to say. It just didn't happen for those guys. But it was an amazing tape. And I know for a long time they had a website you could have downloaded and most of the songs for free. I'm sure it's still on there. If not, there's a million other sites on the internet that you could kind of get that from. But right now... Let's hear what Carmine Apiece has to say about everything going on. He's got a brand new book coming out called Stick It. Let's see what's going on with Carmine. Hey, Carmine, this is Mike. Hey, Mike. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How are you today? I'm good. Where Where are you? Uh, these days, Staten Island, but originally uh, Brooklyn, New York. Oh, Okay. Cool, yeah, I recognize it's 646. Yeah, you cool, can't man. get rid of the accent either, you know? Yeah, I know. You sound like my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always stays with you. Hey, listen, not that there's ever, like, any downtime in your life, but right now, there's a real lot going on. I mean, the book, the album, again, with yeah. Pat Travis, going back to the old album, you're always busy. Yeah, yeah you know, I try and stay busy. I mean, this is this is... You know, people go, you're a workaholic, but, you know, this is fun, you know. This is what I do for fun. I play and, you know, do my, my business, my career, you know, and uh, it's all it's all creative and it's fun and it's always, you know, I try and have a good time with my life, you know. Yeah, and you only get one chance, so you got to enjoy it while you can and make the most out yeah. of it. Exactly, and, you know, yeah. the, funny, the funny thing is, like, if somebody says, you know, you know, Carmine Apathy, what is he part of? A real fan will say, there's too many bands to name. Nobody associates you with just one act anymore. You've done so many things. That's got to be well, impressive yeah, that people say that. Yeah, yeah, I find it funny. You know, when I meet somebody, I go, I go all the way back to Rod Stewart. <laughs> you know? Yep. Or I go all, 
I go all the way back to Ozzy, you know, and I go, wait a minute, what about all the way back to Vanilla Fudge? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's pretty funny, but you know, next year is my 50 year anniversary and also Vanilla Fudge. So we're going to, I'm pretty sure we're going to try and do something special for next year. I should actually release the book next year. <laughs> no, well, we've been waiting a long time for this. We've been hearing about it. You know, the sticker book comes out, I think, in another week or two, actually, uh, at the end of this yeah, month, right? Yeah, May 1st. Yeah, May 1st, yeah. Yeah, and this has I, been, like, a long time coming, you know? Yeah. I've been, I've I been working on I the book. and I, Listen, I've been working on the book and talking about it since 1982 when I was on tour with Ted Nugent. That's when Damn. I first started making the tapes for the book, you know? So you, you're talking like 30 years now that you've been actually like, you know, taking notes and recording because, you know, you should go back to the 60s and 70s, uh, being in the rock and roll world. I mean, you got to forgot more than you remember probably from back then. Well, well, you know, it's funny. When I did the tapes, I did like a dozen 90-minute tapes when I was on the road with Ted in 1982. And then from then, you know, back to 67 and 66, it was a lot easy to remember, you know, because it was not that long ago from back then. But now, you know, here it is, you know, 30 years later from that, you know, and uh, I, I had a big lull in the, in the actual book writing thing. You know, we, we did manuscript. My manager at the time ended up losing eight of the tapes that I made, you know, and I, I tried to remember all the different stories and wrote them down in the book, like just the, just like one liners, you know, the, you know, talk about the writing of, of, sexy or, or talk about uh, this or talk about that, the Ed Sullivan show, you know, I would just write stuff down. I did end up having four tapes, which ended up being 125 pages of manuscript, which wow. brought me up to about, you know, I, I forgot exactly, but I mean, it might have brought me up to at the end of Cactus, you know. Uh, yeah. So I had a good, a good, uh, a, a good source of information, you know, for in the cactus and into Beck, you know, but then, uh, you, you know, after that, I had to start re rewriting. So I, I didn't do anything for a long time. And then probably in the early 2000s, I said, you know, maybe it's time to, to rework the book idea, you know? And uh, I started writing, I, I got a laptop at the time. And I started writing just stories on the laptop. And then I got different friends of mine who were writers. I paid them a couple hundred bucks to, go through it and get rid of all my Brooklyn, my Brooklynese language you know? <laughs> and make, and make it sound good. And then, uh, my girlfriend, you know, the radio chick is a Harvard business school graduate. And she's very, very good at writing. So then I, little by little, I gave her a few of the stories and she rewrote them and made them sound good. And, and then like, I think it was like 2007, I started getting serious about it, you know? And then uh, I hired a, a writer to do a synopsis and, and to interview Leslie and, and interview a few people and put together a whole synopsis. And, and I, I hired a book agent to go out and actually get a book deal, which I never did before, you know? Yeah. And, and then in 2008, when the economy hit the tank, you know, hit the shitter, as they say, you know, yeah. beep, <laughs> and they tanked, uh, I said, you know what? All these people in publishing are getting fired. I mean, it was crazy. I said, let's just hold off on the book, you know? And then we held off on the book. And, and then 2010, I, I was going to self-publish it. And uh, I, I wrote it with it. I wrote the whole book again in taking my stories and adding to it. 
with a guy from Long Island, and uh, it didn't work out. And uh, because in 2011, I think it was, I did an interview on VH1 Radio, and my a buddy there said, man, you got some great stories, you should write a book. I said, well, I have a book. And he says, oh, great, well, we should present it to VH1 Books. I said, oh, great. So I did that, and they loved my stories. They loved me as a, as a you know, my life and my personality, but they didn't like the actual way the book was written. They said it, re it reads like a, an interview. It has to be written wow. like a book. And they said, well, we have this guy named Ian Giddens that, that wrote Nikki Six's book. I think uh, he'd be great for you. So they got contacted him, and he was into it. So next thing I know, I have a co-writer who wrote Nikki Six's big-selling book. You know, and uh, wow. and this guy's an awesome writer. You know, he's an awesome writer. So we then we we took about a year and a half to actually write it. We started from scratch. I mean, we did interviews in Spain. We did interviews in London. We did interviews in New York. He came to New York, stayed with us. I took him to Brooklyn. And we went all, all around Brooklyn to everywhere I used to hang out so you could actually see when I talked about my high school. He, he saw my high school. Talked about the junior high school. He saw it. I took him to both houses we lived in. You know, I took him to where I took drum lessons. I took him to Coney Island. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we, we went everywhere that, that was still around in my old days. You know, I even took him to the Catholic Church. We went to Mass every Sunday with my parents, yeah. you know. And then, then he wrote, and then between that, Skype and everything, we so many interviews and so many things, we finally, it was done. By the time it was done, VH1 closed that section down of, of the company, the book section. Oh. So then we had to go out and get another deal, which we did with this uh, Chicago Review Press. I mean, they're not like a, a big indie, but they're, a, 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 they're not a big major, but they're a big indie. And it's sort of like... You know, I'm a big fish in a smaller sea rather than a little fish yeah. in a giant sea, you know. And they're doing a tremendous job. They are really doing a great job of promo and getting the books out there and getting the books to everybody. And, uh, you know, we're selling them online. Matter of fact, I'm, I got this new promotion. It's called Thunderclap.it. And if you go to Thunderclap.it and search Carmine a piece, picture the book comes up, you... Uh, click on the picture of the book, and it comes to a page and it says, "Help come on a piece, you know, legendary drama come on a piece uh, book, be a bestseller at Amazon, you know." Oh, okay. And then, uh, and then underneath it, it says Facebook, Twitter. So you enter your Facebook and your Twitter. So if you have a Facebook and Twitter, Mike, go on there and do me a favor and support it. Because what I'm trying Absolutely. to do is get a million. I'm getting a million social media reach on there. So if you got ten thousand people, that goes on to my social reach. I'm trying to reach a million people. And then on May 15th, every one of those people are going to get one Facebook post or a Twitter post saying, go to Amazon.com today and buy Carmine's book. And hopefully, I'll get two or 3,000 people that will do that out of a million. Yeah. And it'll become an Amazon bestseller for, the, for that day. Ah, that's, that's a uh, great idea. Some, yeah, some guy turned me on to that because... My other plan with life is to get more into speaking, you know, like going out doing speaking with the book, talking about the book, talking about how I took opportunity and every, every minute up until, you know, recently even, you know, I'm always looking for opportunity and I don't just let opportunity pass by. I go, I, I take it, you know what I'm saying? 
Absolutely. You have to. Well, I mean, you got the book signings coming up. You're doing Q&A at a lot of them. You're speaking and reading from the book. So you got a lot of that going on, too, with it. Yeah, I'm not going to actually read it because I'm not really a great public reader, you know. So, But I'm going to just pick stories to tell. Say, so, okay, in chapter, you know, one, there's a story about blah, blah, blah. So uh, uh, instead of reading it, I want to tell you the story. And yeah. this is how, the, this is how we, we ended up writing it. You know, so it's going to be more like a storytelling Q&A. And I'll bring a pair of drumsticks, and I'll always get the audience clapping, and I'll play to them on the I can I can do solos on drumsticks without drums, you know. And, I hear that. <laughs> that should be great. <laughs> it's pretty but, cool. You know, so I'll get everybody. I'll loosen everybody up when we come on, you know, and get them clapping. And let me hear you say, yeah, you know, I'm going to run it like a yep. mini concert, you know. And it'll be a good time. I'll be at the one in New York. Uh, I'll be at one in the city in May. I think it's May 10th. I'll be at that May one. May 10th. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. one full band. That's going to be full. I'm even going to bring my big giant gong. And from the gong, that's <laughs> historical. That I play. You know, the yes, gong went from BBA to Rod to Ozzy to Ted to um, to King Cobra to Blue Murder, everything in between. And uh, it, it always traveled with me. And on that gong, I'm going to hang a red velvet coat that I wore on the Ed Sullivan show the first time. Oh, and, uh, that's going to be great. We're going to have some spotlight shining up at it. And we're going to put that behind the table where we're going to do the book signing and selling the books. I think it'll be a, add a nice piece of history, you know. Plus, we yeah. have a lithograph that we're going to sell at the books. At the book signing is also by my friend Ed Heck, who's a uh, guy from an artist from Brooklyn who does like kitty kind of art. So we did a uh, compilation. We work together. We have different pieces of art, but we're going to have one piece that that has the book cover in the middle of it. You know, so we're going to do like a hundred lithographs and just sell those uh, for like seventy-five bucks. You know, it'd be a nice package. You get the book and the and the uh, and the art art piece. You know, for like yeah, hundred bucks. You know, that'll definitely be yeah, pretty so it's cool. Yeah, so going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to. So we're going to play a lot of historical songs on May 10th in New York and uh, at the cutting room. And we're going to, I got a killer band. I got different people going to come down and sing, you know, uh, Mark Hudson is going to come and uh, Pepe Castro and a couple of guys from Cactus and uh, Vanilla Fudge guys trying to get Paul Schaefer down there to play the organ on Keep Me Hanging On, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd so, be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to do the, the book, Storytelling, then the Q and A, and then we're going to play the songs. You know, it's going to be a great uh, night. Everybody should show up for that. Yeah, yeah, and it's a free show too. So if there's no no charge to the audience. We're, we're making this like just a just yeah, a night of fun for cool. free. You know, yeah. That's the best I mean, thing. If you're, yep. gonna, if you're gonna have a drink, you're gonna pay for the drink. You know, but <laughs> it's, come on, it's New York. You got to pay for something sooner or later. Yeah, and I'm gonna do. We're gonna do a deal. I'm sexy the way we did it. When I did it with Pat Travis, you know, I did a, an album called Bazooka with Pat Travis. Yeah. And when we recorded that, I recorded "Do You Think I'm Sexy" for my Guitar Zeus record that was coming out in America, and uh, with Pat. And uh, and as you know, we got the new album called Balls album, which is. Yep. Uh, I love this album. I mean, it came out in Europe in 2004, and then me and Pat went in and we did two extra um, bonus tracks that were recorded like in the last few months. And then we took all the, all the um, alternate mixes and we remastered it and put new artwork. And uh, it used to be called It Takes a Lot of Balls. 
And, That's I, right. and I was going to, I wanted to call it, if you missed it the first time, the Balls album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the clear Patrick said, let's just call it the Balls album. It's too long a title. Yeah. I said, okay, let's call it the Balls album. So, so the Balls album is out and it's doing well. People are loving it. The, uh, we're getting great reviews all around um, the world on it. And uh, I love Pat. I mean, Pat to me is what is, is a very um, underrated guitar hero. Absolutely. You work with Pat for, you know, you work with Pat on and off for a long time over the, over the years and everything. Uh, and you think anything new maybe between you guys outside of these songs you wrote for the Bulls record? We can I do maybe a whole album together again? Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're planning to do... Uh, so, like, uh, when I went down and did the video, we were talking about maybe once or twice a year doing one or two songs a year and just releasing it on uh, YouTube and releasing it on uh, online, you know, rather than having to do a whole album because nobody buys albums anymore, you know? Yeah, Unfortunately, it's a shame. Yeah, but it's a shame. But, you know, we can do, like, one, two tracks. What? What happened there? Oh, yeah. Hey, Karma, yeah, I think we lost each other. Yeah, yeah, I got this freaking T-Mobile that just uh, decides to quit whenever it wants to. <laughs> it's doing it more and more lately and I, since the guy told me to shut something off, you know, and... Uh, yeah. You know, but anyway, uh, yeah, so, uh, so me and Pat, we go back. I met Pat in 1982 when I was playing with Ted. And he was opening up for us. And he had a friend of mine, Sammy Gennaro, playing drums with him. And uh, and we became good friends. We hung out. We jammed. We went out after the shows. And we jammed with some people, you know, different cities. And it was always a good time with him, you know. Yeah. Do you ever feel like, like you've kind of been there, done that? Or is there still more to come that you haven't done yet? I mean, you've, I mean, you're talking about Ed Sullivan to all the people you've played with, from Nugent to Ozzy to Rod Stewart. Is there still more to come where you feel like, you know, I haven't touched on everything yet? Well, I mean, I would love to do a uh, uh, some sort of like TV show on, on uh, like me and my girlfriend, the radio chick, and we have a crazy life. You know, she runs the gong show. I'm in yeah. the rock music business. We do some real estate things on the side. I think it would be an interesting, crazy, you know, because they got, you know, they got a lot worse than that on TV today. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I mean, we'd like to, we, we, yeah, I would like to do something like that, you know, and, and I really would like to get the speaking thing going. And, uh, you know, I always have some goals, you know. I mean, you always yeah. have to have some goals to keep yourself going. And I always have goals, you know. My One of my goals is uh, this year to buy myself a, a new Corvette. I'm just trying to figure out where to put it. <laughs> yeah. We have a three-car garage that's filled up, you know. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to have to ship one of my cars to L.A. and then make room in the garage for a Corvette, you know. Yeah. yeah one, one uh, of that thing. But, but, you know, you always have to have goals. You know, my goals in life now, you know, if we can get a TV show together, it's great. The other goal is to, we, we actually want to get into some flipping houses because we both, we watch HGTV all the time. Oh, yeah. And we, yeah, we have some houses, you know, we have investments in investment houses in like Memphis, but they're not like, you know, flipping like that, you know. And we just ran into somebody, a friend of mine that does that in Long Island. So we're, you know, I'd love to get into that. And then, you know, I really want to get into the speaking thing because I, you know, I've done drum clinics for so long. I was the first rock 
musician actually to do a drum clinic or any kind of clinic in 71. And, you know, I, I did years and years and years of it, you know. And now I think the next step up from a drum clinic thing is sort of like a speaking gig, you know, doing speeches and uh, talking for corporations and doing history of rock, you know, experience, I yeah. call it, you know. You know? Yeah. And it, I like it. And and this book, the book signings are going to be like part of that, you know. And once you become an author and if, it, if we do well with the book, it's going to make it a lot easier to to go out and do that. Absolutely. You know, you know, come on with the book. I mean, obviously you're going to touch on all, I mean, everything you've done musically, but do you get personal in the book? You talk about your early days, your family life and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yes, but I don't overdo it. You know, I mean, I talk about Brooklyn, you know, running with the gangs we had there and how music really saved my life. I probably would ended up being, who knows? A lot of my friends are in jail for murder right now. You know, uh, guys I grew up with, and, uh, you know, I, I go through that, but I don't overdo it. You know, I remember reading uh, um, Keith Richards' book. He had 110 pages of his childhood. By the time I finished that, I was done with the book, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I know. <laughs> it's too much. You know, and I tried, to, I tried to keep it interesting. And everybody that's been reading it has been telling me that they flow, the book flows great. They, they don't want to put it down. And it's not, you know, the, the childhood wasn't overabundance, you know? of it and uh i think it's i think it works you know and uh yeah and we get into everything you know like uh how i started playing drums you know i mean we have family of six living in a one-bedroom apartment you know but we're a very happy family you know and close yeah. close quarters but happy and then we moved to a house where you know me and my older brother had a room together and my brother Vinny and my sister had a room together they were young you know, and we had a basement, we had a pool table, we had some weights down there, you know. I had drums on the porch, you know, in a closed porch. So that was a lot better living situation than living in one room with six people, you know. Yeah. But, you know, so we graduated, you know, up to that and, you know, and then goes through all the gigs I kind of did, worked for, worked in, you know, what they used to call mafia social clubs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. where we'd, we'd go in, we'd go in and we'd, uh, you know, play and the guy go, hey, your name's Carmine, yeah, well, hey, here's a $50 tip, you know, you know, <laughs> hey, Marie, hey, Marie, you know. You know what I mean? I had a band, Music for All Occasions, and I ended up playing, you know, uh, clubs and, and church dances and weddings and bar mitzvahs. You know, at 17, I bought a brand new 64 Chevy Super Sport when I was 17. And uh, I paid for it myself, you know, from playing gigs. And I was very proud of myself, you know. And, sure. you know, and that just tells it whole life, you know. And then a few of the gang war things we had. I, I read Peter Chris and Ace Frehley's book. They had a similar upbringing. They both grew up in, uh, Peter grew up in Brooklyn. And, uh, yeah, I think Red Hook. And Ace, up, Ace was in the Bronx. And had, we both had to be with a band to be safe, uh, be with a gang to be safe, you know. Yeah, it's true. Kind of thing, you know? New York back then. But then, then yeah. you know, yeah, and then it went, you know, through all that, and then you know, eventually joining the Vanilla Fudge, and then goes through all the Vanilla Fudge stuff, and then you know, starting Cactus that should have been, you know, a band with Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart, and ended up, you know, ended up being what it was, and then eventually playing with Jeff, and then leaving Jeff and going with with uh, with uh, uh, with Rod, you know. And then just before that, I went to the West Coast. I had a band with Mike Bloomfield. I was a total failure. 
you know, and it's really ups and downs. And then, you know, there's some health issues I had. You know, my parents died, you know, Buddy Rich died, my my idol, you know, I was friends yeah. with him. Yeah, just, you know, I even got, you know, uh, I got it into it with Gregory Peck and Fred Astaire and Tony, and Tony um, Curtis, you know, we're friends of Rod. You know, it's just really wild, you know. I mean, it's just a crazy ride, you know. It's going to make a great read, without a doubt. Yeah, and I left Ooh. some of the sex bits in because that's what we did then. I mean, we, you know, in, the, in those days, we didn't make giant money like you make now, you know. You didn't make a lot of money, so you're on a small salary. But, I mean, the salary was was good, you know. So the only payment yeah. we used to get was the partying after the shows, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, true. I, so we left so we left some of that in there because all the books we I've read I've read a lot of books you know autobiographies and biographies and everything else and and uh, that, that part's always left out you know so so I mean it's not overabundance of it but it's just enough to to uh, to to get the vibe on what it was like you know yeah yeah that's all you so need all to the do crazy stuff I mean and we got away with so much I mean come on it was ridiculous we were spoiled and. And, you know, as I look back at it now, you know, I look back and go, how do we do that? Why do we do that? You know, but, you know, we're 19, 20 years old, 23 years old, 24, you know. And we were immature and on the road and spoiled and, you know, everything we wanted, we sort of got, you know. Yeah. Some life. It's going to be a great book and a good read. That's why, that's why, that's why the stick it. Well, it's got an attitude, you know. There's like a few different meanings to the stick it, you know. Yeah, well, you know, you know, coming from like a, a close knit Italian family, you know, from Brooklyn, all this. What did your parents think about it when you went into music? Was that were they okay with that, or did they try to talk you well, out of it, yeah, or were they supportive? I'm, well, yeah, they were okay. Uh, basically, I mean, my father was to take me to gigs when I didn't drive, and you know, and put the drums in the trunk and take the band members too if we had to, you know, yeah. and then. Uh, you know, it went on, and like I said, you know, when I was 17, I, I went to driver's ed so I could drive earlier, you know, and uh, yeah. and and I bought my own car. And then, you know, after I graduated high school, I went to, originally to a, a school called Grady, you know, Grady. Grady High School, yep, sure do. Yeah, it was a vocational school, because my parents said, man, uh, you want to do music, but if it don't work out, you should have something to fall back onto. So I went for electrical installation. You know, which was like basic electrician. And after the first year, you know, but I was in the band and the orchestra and everything in there, you know. And then after the first year, we started the second year. I didn't like it because the first year we did all this stuff called bell wiring, you know, to show you yep. all the different circuits. And the second year, the same as the first year, except now lighting instead of bells, you know. And I said, this is boring. I don't want to do this. So I, I said, I'm going to go to Neutrich High School. And I'm going to major in music where I learned theory and harmony. And I was in the orchestra and the band and the jazz yeah. band and the uh, marching band. And I played after school at the dances. You know, I was totally in, in, engulfed in, in the music scene in that school, you know, which taught me how to, you know, play chords and stuff on guitar, on organ, which in, later in life, you know, helped me write songs like Do You Think I'm Sexy, Young Turks, and so many songs that I've written. I have, I've had probably 150 songs in my in my ASCAP account, you know, and it's yeah. like partly due to the fact that I learned that in high school, you know. So hey, and that's uh, and that's missing today from high schools. You don't get there's hardly any music programs in high schools anymore. Yeah, well, I'm involved in a, a 
uh, thing called Little Kids Rock. As a matter of fact, I just got a, an invite today to go in July for three days in Colorado and meet with 300 teachers that they have scattered around in 300 cities, you know, or, or maybe, maybe not 300 cities, but 300 schools around yeah. the country, which, which keep kids like I did some in the Bronx. And, you know, it was a shame. I went into the school right across the street was a junkyard with all this, all this like gang writing on it, you know, and you know, the streets look dangerous, you know? So they keep, oh, yeah. they keep the kids in the school after school and they teach them music, you know? So like I went up and I wrote songs with the kids and I, I brought up some drum books and I gave drumsticks and, and, you know, we, we did some harmonies and I played with them, you know, and it, it was a, a great experience. I did that in a bunch of different places. In the Bronx, I did some in, in Florida, you know, I did some in uh, New Jersey, you know. So, you know, so that's because this started because of the fact that they've taken all the music out of out of schools. And the guy that started it, this guy David Wish, was a music teacher in a school, and he started doing it himself on the side, you know. Yeah. And gradually now they have somewhere like, like uh, 250,000 kids in the program. You know, nationwide. You know, it's incredible. That's a good thing, man. But you know, getting back that to the same before, I I went to grading myself for automotive, and I gave up after a few oh, weeks. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I went for automotive, and all these years later, I can't even change your own the car, so it didn't do me any good. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the electrical installation helped me a bit. You know, I do stuff around the house that that I learned over there. My father was a jack of all trades. You know, he, yeah. he had a bungalow in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. There was a shell. He put the whole thing together, put the toilets and the plumbing and electrical yep. and, the, and the plasterboards and, the, you know, finishing and the tile. He did everything. So we learned from, from my father, you know, like uh, how to fix stuff, yeah. you know. And, uh, you have to. And now between that and Grady, yeah, I also didn't like the fact that we used to get off the, the train at Stillwell Avenue to walk to Grady. We'd always walk through these blocks, and Lincoln High School was there with all the, all the women, all the chicks, you know, and we had all guys in there. I said, oh, man, this, this sucks. Yeah. So. That's how it was. I did the same as you. I left Grady, and I went to Lafayette High School, and we became the Utrecht oh, okay. football rivals. So. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, hey, you know what, Carmen, I'm not going to keep you, man. I know you're busy today with a lot of these things, but I, I can't wait to meet up with you uh, in uh, New York City. It's going to be great, yeah. man, for the book signing. Yeah, now what is this run at, this thing? What is
There you go. A little music featuring Carmine. That was King Cobra off the last record. When the hammer comes down before that brand new from Travis and a piece better from the distance. We spoke about that album during the interview. You know what? I'm going to get on one more tune. You know what? I'm going to play something off the brand new August Red Moon called Drums of War that I will reach out to Jay and Gary. I guess Luke and Dave are going to be with them. I'm not sure unless they're calling in separately. Uh, but we'll get we'll give them a call. We'll get the song on. I'll get the numbers up. We'll give them a call. We'll get that interview going. And then Falco for Wicked Mariah will be closing out tonight's show. And we'll get on as much music as we can in between. I saw that Stephen Adler had performed at the M3 Festival doing a lot of uh, Guns N' Roses songs. I guess if you can't be in the real Guns N' Roses doing it, you may as well keep doing it on your own. <laughs> Who knows? That guy has no luck at all. That's all I can say. That M3 Festival started out as something pretty cool. And it's turned into like this hair metal thing where it's not even like real hair metal bands. It's like one guy from the band and everybody knew. And it's just a, it's, it's just a joke to me, in my opinion. But it started out as something pretty cool when it first came around. A lot of cool bands on there. I just think it's kind of run its course. I don't know how it even did this year. I haven't had a chance to uh, check it out myself online and, and look into it. But let's get on... Um, it's got a song from the brand new August Red Moon. We just got done with Carmine. Just a Carmine piece. I mean, the man was on Ed Sullivan's show back in the 60s. He, he knew Ed Sullivan. I mean, it doesn't get any more legendary than that. Uh, unbelievable. All right, off the brand new record from August Red Moon, Drums of War. Here's goodbye, my friend.
August Red Moon. Hey, Gary, this is Mike. How are you? Hi. I'm doing great, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good, man. Why I got you here, hold on a second. Let me get Jay on the line. I got to give him a call. And uh, I think we'll get everybody on right after that then. Are you there? All right. Hang on one second here. Let me just dial his number. I got a little echo over here on my end. Is that normal? Yeah, right now we'll be until we get one more guy connected. Once Jay's connected, you should be all right. Hey, this is Jay. <clears throat> Jay, how you doing? It's Mike. Gary's on the line too. I'm doing great. Hey, brother. How are you doing? How you doing, Gary? Doing fantastic. Everything's cool. You know it. How are you? I'm great. Hello. All right, man. Well, it's cool to have you both. I don't know if anybody's with you guys, but it's good to have you on here again. It's been a while, a couple of years since we spoke. Dave's with us. Right, right on, brother. What's happening? This is Dave Young. Hey, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. All right. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Listen, I'm a big fan going back to the beginning. So I was thrilled when this record came out. It's been a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We like the follow-up album spread out a little bit. It takes <laughs> us a long time to do that. It's that pre-production. Old. It really slows you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was actually the post-production that did it for us. <laughs> <laughs> it helps right, when look. we have songs, too. Whatever. Yeah, well, you, you did a fantastic <laughs> job on, on Drums of War. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to songs on here, and I'm like, this sounds like where the band would have been at if you kept putting out records over the last, like, three decades. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're talking about the new one, right? The recording is supposed to be the new one. one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, we're really thrilled with the way it turned out, man. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, just the way that the, the whole album flows from start to finish um, is amazing to me. I mean, I, I love it. It is. Yeah, we had because a, a really we... good. Um, we had a really good set of extra ears in the back with uh, Will Mott, the guy who helped produce it. So, um, what you hear is a lot of what he has heard and helped fix and balance out for us on the final product. So, you know, kudos to him. He he really helped us out. Yeah, definitely a good job in the production department. I mean, on the record, I mean, you redid Fools and Never Alone. There's actually an old Eden song, I mean, a Terracuda song on there, Survival of, of the Fittest is on there from the Terracuda days. Are all the other songs that are on there, stuff that you just started working on since getting back together? Or are there any riffs that were going back to the old days? You know what it is for me, man? I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. I mean, a lot of those old recordings that we did were demos. Then uh, that was all they were meant to be, really. Um, and lo and behold, years later, they're freaking being released on CDs and shit and vinyl and stuff. And we're going, what the fuck? You know, that's not, that's not the way it was supposed to be, you know? Um, yeah. That's a demo, guys. You know, we want, to, um, we want to spend more than one half an hour on the whole freaking mix, you know? Um, so <laughs> at least with Drums of War, we had a little bit of time. Uh, but all those old recordings like that were, were, well, not all of them. I mean, some of them we did actually spend time on, like an hour on them. <laughs> But um, the, the demos, I, I'm sick of releasing demos. And it seems like with Eden and his August Redman, I mean, there's a bunch of demos that have been released who were never really intended to be released. <clears throat> They're great songs. Yeah. I mean, we love them and stuff, but that's not the way they were supposed to sound in the end. Um, so yeah. you get a song like Survival of the Fittest and rework it and kind of put the effort into it that we knew was there and make it sound cool is, is really uh, bitching, I think. 
Absolutely. Well, were you guys involved with that compilation from about a year or so ago, the Heavy Metal USA? Because it has a lot of old stuff that was released on it. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's my point. I mean, uh, they released uh, re a rehearsal track that we were rehearsing in uh, <coughs> Jerry's uh, parents' living room. Yeah, I didn't sign off so, on that, by the way. So our and it was funny. <laughs> okay. It was actually one mic, one mic above the band, and it was only. Uh, recorded just for, you know, at the end of the recording, we'd listen back and say, well, let's change this or that. It was never intended to be released to anything, really, but there it is on the CD, you know, worldwide. Oh, thanks. Thanks yeah. a lot for that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's just super. Yeah. But that's you the guys, point. You guys, so, like just, you guys, like, just wake up one day and find out there's a record out, <laughs> you know, by you guys? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, dude. <laughs> Have you been spying on us, Mike? Dang. <laughs> Almost like that. It's but amazing. what are you going to do? I mean, so when we can have time to rework at least one or two or whatever these songs and make them sound the way they're supposed to be, uh, that's cool, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about the history of the band, I mean, it goes back to the very early 80s, like 1980, or maybe even before that, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, I mean, you guys predate a lot of the other bands from California, going back to Metallica, Slayer, probably even Motley Crue about the same time. I mean, you guys were there from the yeah, very right. beginning of a scene that didn't even form yet. Yeah. Yeah, that was a trip. That was, uh, it was fun. But yeah. Well, I mean, what influenced the band back at that time? Because really, here in the U.S., outside of like, you know, arena rock, which was coming out of the 70s and maybe Kiss and a little bit of Zeppelin or Sabbath, I mean, it was mostly the new way of British heavy metal, if you were a fan of that or knew about it, that kind of led to like what happened here in the, in the early 80s. Jay, you want that one? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's... We oh, went that Jay? A, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, Jay. <laughs> hey, what's up? You didn't know I was on or what? <laughs> yeah, you know, going through, Mike, going through some of, like, Dave's old archives, he had a lot of the was old, uh, yeah, what was called BAM magazine. I don't know, you know, out in, out in California at the time, it was like the big, you know, metal rag magazine where you get it for free. You could find out which bands were playing out in yeah. L.A. or out in Hollywood. And, um... Uh, in some of Dave's um, old archives, we have, uh, um, you know, times where, you know, it's printed out that, that Vince Neil was out there listening to August Red Moon and saying, you know, he, you know, sitting at a Red Moon show watching them. And it's really cool to read that, you know, there's, there's old flyers of like, you know, uh, you know, Red Moon and Slayer opening up or a special guest or Metallica being out there. And it's just amazing to, to be part of the whole thing. It really kind of sets the stage for, you know, what you hear on Drums of War. Uh, absolutely. Well, Jay, how did you hook up with the band a few years ago when they when they decided to put it back together? Uh, I was I was in Guitar Center uh, looking for a guitar, and Gary comes up behind me and just starts talking to me, and starts showing me. Uh, the funny thing, the most ironic thing is, he started showing me the song uh, "Only Man on Earth," and he just starts talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, shut up already! But then after a while, <laughs> he starts he pulls he pulls up. Yeah, some things never change. But then um, he pulls up uh, uh, a couple of other songs that they did, and he says, you know, give me a call, you know, if you if you want to join, you know, you could join our band. And I'm thinking, is this guy for real? What the hell? Yeah. So anyways, I, I think like three or four days later, I give him a call, and he says, hey, just come on down. Come on down to the backyard, and, and we'll start playing. And that's kind of the way I joined up with them. Wow. Who else was involved at that time? Was it, was, it, was it just the two of you? Well, yeah, I was, you know, um, stalking Guitar Center again, looking for guitar players like Jay. 
<laughs> you know, I think it was on Mother's Day too, wasn't it? It sure yeah, so was. Your wife was shopping. Him. She was buying flowers. I think, yeah, just, yeah. He's in the guitar center. I'm like, that guy can play. I'm gonna Petunia. go talk to him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, wow. You never know where they come from, man. Yeah. Of all places, that, that's the true. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 Jay, was it difficult, kind of like you know, fitting into a band that had been around for such a long time, already had like a legacy? Did you try to like mimic what was done with the band before, or did you bring your own style into it? No, I think um, I was really lucky. You know, Gary and Dave very early on said, "Hey, look, we just want you to be you. You know, listen to listen to some of this stuff and and just be you, just play you." And and it was ironic because I don't think I I actually met Luke until like two or three practices later. And um, as I walked in, you know, I could hear Luke practicing and, and he's a, a phenomenal guitar player. And I just remember sitting down and we all really got along. But um, Gary and Dave were, were really open about saying, hey, look, you know, just play you, be you. Don't try not to mimic the old stuff. Just be yourself. And uh, yeah. sometimes I think that kind of slowed us down in the, in the songwriting because we went way off, you know, way off track uh, with a couple of times. But then we reeled it back in and and really lock down the, the song yeah. structures and the arrangements. But it was, was easy. Yeah. What song did we reel it back in? I'm not sure of that one. Okay. <laughs> you know that one. With the new, yeah, that one. Okay. With the new album, with the new album, did you intentionally try to write the way you did back then to try to keep the songs in the same vein? Or were you more open to, like, you know, things that have happened over the last 20, 30 years musically? No. Uh, we kind of do. It, 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 it's kind of one and the same, really, Mike. Here's the deal. Uh, rule number one back in August, right? Do what you want, have fun, period. Whatever the consequences may be, you know, uh, we'll deal with that then. Nothing's changed. One out of two ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> so we came into this one, <laughs> do what you want to do and have fun with it. And that that doesn't really restrict you or put any kind of boundaries on creativity. It just, it tells everybody, hey, we got an open mind. Let's, let's do something that's fun and, um, you know, well, with the, with the new recording, though, um, I will say this. And this was actually a plan, believe it or not, that we actually Wait, formulated in our brain. Phone. I'm talking to you right now. I'm looking <laughs> at you. All right? What are you, what are you looking at? What the hell you looking at? <laughs> but in all seriousness, folks, um, what were we talking about? Seriously. <laughs> no, I mean, with the new album, oh, I wanted yeah. to have a big uh, guitar sound. I mean, so... Um, that was one of the first things when we started to do this new uh, project was to, at least in my mind, and Gary was on board after, uh, you know, first 10 seconds, um, to bring three guitars up front and just fucking make them sound as big as they possibly can and, and fucking and make them rip. Why are you touching that? So, Dave's got a lot of so aggression that was our, today. That was our plan. And, and, I remember, I remember my brother asked me one day, uh, okay, man, so you're doing this new album, and uh, if somebody comes and sees you live or whatever, what do you want them to take away from this whole thing? And, then, and I just thought about it, and I went, I want them to go home and go, those guys were, were fucking loud. <laughs> <laughs> and there we are. Okay, that's my plan. Okay, thanks, folks. <laughs> okay. What else you got, Mike? Commercial? I don't 
Guys, can you hear me? I'm here. I can hear you now. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, all right. You lost the connection there. I got your back. All right. Uh, what I was saying was I that you know, August Redmond, August, <laughs> August Redmond seemed to have lasted a couple of years. Very good that when I was talking, man. He always does that to me, I swear. That's okay. <laughs> hey, listen, August Redmond lasted a few years, but then it kind of morphed into Terracotta and then Eden. But there were different members and different lineups. Was it the same band just going under different names, or did you consider each one a completely different band? No. That, that was a complete, completely different deal. I mean, I was moving on uh, in, well, now we're in the fourth dimension of it. It was Red Moon and it was Terracuda. A little bit of a, a lineup change and Eden came. I left. Dave Henriad and Rick Croco came out from Utah and joined Mike Henry and Dave Young to uh, originally form Eden. And we, you know, um, later on rejoined. I did the recording on the album of the, the, the I, first can, album. Can I interject here? I'm, sure. I'm sorry, I don't interrupt you. I just want to throw a plug out. Um, uh, we signed another a record contract uh, about, about a month ago or so. Um, Tribunal Dive Bomb Records is going to re-release the original Eden record with tons of bonus tracks. Uh, some other recordings that we did after that. So we did, after the original Eden album, we did um, another recording with a vocalist by the name of Mike Stone, which went on to play with Queensryche. Um, awesome vocalist and musician. And then after that, we did another one uh, that we um, recorded with the vocalist, Augie Madrigal, um, which is on there too. So it's going to be uh, almost a 20-track CD coming up. Should be out in a couple of months. So I just want to throw that out there for any Eden fans out there. Um, all right. That's going to be great. And, and it's cool because in the liner notes, and as Dave was just saying, it evidences all the players, all the singers, all the guitar players, and such throughout us. I don't even want to count the years, a couple decades worth of Eden. So uh, moving forward again into August Redmond, yeah, Dave and I, you know, um, we just kind of seem to have a creative edge uh, that we enjoy working with each other. You know, it's great. It's last a long time. And as long as we do it, you're going to need a couple extra guys, apparently. So now we're lucky. We got Jay and we got Luke with us and we had Blinds, a good friend of ours, come and handle the vocals for us. So um, it's, the only two guys in Red Moon now are the guys who started it way back then. Everybody else is different for a reason and on purpose, and I'm glad that they're here. Yeah. Well, uh, well Michael Henry passed away. He can't be there. He is. He's no longer with us on the planet, but he's in my heart. Yeah. He's in my mind. We think about him. That song that you played earlier, by My Friend, was kind of uh, originally started off as a tribute to Mike Henry and Rick. And Rick. And um, as Jay mentioned, we let things morph a little bit too much sometimes, forcing around with guitars, and we eventually wound up making it kind of more like a tribute past that to anybody, you know, anywhere that's ever lost somebody or some, you know, a pet or whatever it was, your coworker, you didn't find out they passed away until after they did. And um, it's kind of way, uh, a way for anybody who wants to have, you know, a way of giving remembrance to their friend wherever they're at. You don't have to go to a particular place to think about them. And, you know, you don't need to go to your mom's grave on Mother's Day to see her. You can see her anywhere. And this song is kind of like the soundtrack to saying goodbye to any one of your uh, friends or loved ones that 
you know, you didn't get to her. You, you just want to kind of hang with them. So that's what the whole vibe about that song was intended yeah. by. I kind of, that was word that you started off with, uh, goodbye, my friend. Uh, yeah, what the? Oh, yeah, I was some... thinking you were going to start off with <laughs> Yeah. Nah, we were like, what? Well, you know what? It is? I, I played a couple of songs already over the last few weeks off the album, and I hadn't gotten that one on yet. So I figured this is a perfect time to play it. I'll do it before. It's a nice little, it's a nice little intro, you know, like before you guys come on, it felt a little instrumental. I figured I'd get that on yeah. first. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, uh, that turned out really cool. I mean, it's very different. And it's weird how a song can morph from the beginning of writing it to the finished product when you listen to it on a CD. It's really amazing. Um, yeah, that, that uh, whole beginning, true. that whole beginning part to that to that song actually wasn't there. I played it for uh, for um, Gary and Dave, and I think Chris and and Luke one time when we were out at practice. And um, it was funny because one of the first things I think that Luke said is, "Whoa, it sounds like Esteban joined the band," because it was a little <laughs> bit more classical Spanish sounding. And um, at first, I was really you know reserved about adding that to the beginning of that song because it was something personal for me. It was something that I wrote for for my mom and my daughter. Um, and my mom's no longer here. But when you know when we put it all together inside of the studio and I was playing it, you know everybody convinced me. I was I was trying to chicken out and take that beginning out, but you know, Gary convinced me to leave it in. And, and what you heard was like that, that final version of just everything kind of morphing together afterwards. So it was, it was really nice to, you know, to hear it opening for us today. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, when, when you say something like that, you're worried about putting it in, taking it out. Are you really that conscious about trying to keep things at a certain level or at a certain way you feel like an orchestra song should be? Because it seems like today you have, you're more free to write what you want. Yeah, I think it goes back to we do what we want. And we play what we want, really. Um, yeah, it's always been that way. Even you know, I I can't ever think of um, a time when I sat down and said I want to write a song that's going to sound like that, um, and make it yeah. sound like you know because yeah. it never sounds like that when it's done. It's going to sound like this. <laughs> so, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, I know, and that's you know it's amazing, really. Um, but. The only thing that I bring to the table with Redmond, and I've always brought to it, is a sense of a manic uh, frenzy feel sometimes where it's like uh, almost going to crash off the rails, you know, and, and explode in big bulb, but but it hangs on somehow. I love that feel about the early Redmond because um, it's almost like a punkish, you know, off the rails kind of feel and it's frenzy. And I tried to bring that to the new recording on, on some of the tracks as well. And that's the Red Moon kind of, uh, what is it? I guess the vibe that we love. Yeah. It's, it, people used to call us, uh, you know, metal slash punk back then. Um, and that's kind of what we were. And Although not every song's like that on the new record, but uh, I, I want to keep that vibe. You know, so. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when, the, when the band started out in the early 80s, there really was no description for what you guys or any bands were doing. It was like, you know, it was hard rock and heavy metal. It hadn't been broken up into... 4,000 subgenres at that point in time. You guys were one or the other. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's pretty cool, too. And, and anybody, uh, you probably already know Bob. Bob Nalbandian, he's got a new uh, film coming out, Inside Metal, and, and it, it, it gives a very detailed, uh, historic view of how it all evolved and who were the players and, and who really went off the charts and made it huge and who kind of you know, had a huge impact in one area uh, or another. And um, anybody can, you know, get that online over at uh, Bob's 
place. You know, you've heard of this, Bob, I'm sure. Have yeah, you seen it? Yeah, I know, Bob, yeah. Good movie. He did a great job on that. Yeah. He he did a fantastic job on it. And, and the thing that's really cool about it is that... They didn't get my good side, though. If you didn't... Uh, I mean, I, if you were over there watching the movie and, and you weren't even a fan of heavy that. metal at the end of it, if you watched the whole thing, you'd be standing back there going, wow, man, these guys... Yeah. There was no map. There was no instructions on how to do it. They kind of created what it is. And, and it was really cool to be part of that. And it was really cool to be recognized in the movie uh, for our contributions. And then it brings us to right now where um, we just got Drums of War out. And we couldn't be happier to share the new version of We Do What We Want With You People. We're, we're glad you... you um, have a song today, Mike, and we're really thankful you're playing our songs, bro. Yeah, brother. That's what I'm here yeah, for. Was... I mean, did, did you realize the impact that, that Fools are Never Alone had? I mean, even though the band broke up after a few years, the album was out, you guys didn't just disappear off the face of the earth. You were still playing in other bands. When did you realize that that album had, like, an impact on the scene of people all these years later? Even when you guys were broken up, still remember that record. People didn't forget it. Well, you know what? Let me follow up this one, sorry. Um, what I was going to say, <laughs> I just, I just had to flip my, my best friend, Gary off. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> that, that was a silent flip off. If you use another. Anyway, um, what I wanted to bring up was, I mean, we did the first schools in Avalon in 82 or three or whatever it was. We played as a band from what? 82 to 84, maybe. And that was it. Um, so we, August Redmond was done at, in 84, and that was it. And as far as I was concerned, it, it was dead and buried, and it was just going to move on. Um, so we weren't actually August Redmond all those years. We never even played as August Redmond or even mentioned August Redmond. But uh, the, al- the album was, you know, an underground uh, favorite or whatever with a lot of metal uh, fans and stuff. So, And then we went to uh, Germany, and then we saw how many people loved that record and just uh, – the style of music that's when we brought it back so there was 20 some odd years that there was no august redmond and we didn't play as august redmond at all so it's yeah. um, kind of like a resurrection so i mean i just want to make it clear that we weren't a band redmond all those years that's all um so i know like 20 and, years ago, we... and those four songs left an impact on them on the on the on the world of heavy metal yeah yeah and that's thank cool. you that's awesome and uh it's really neat to see the fans, you know, that uh, these young, especially younger ones that were singing uh, the lyrics and stuff to these old songs. Um, and we can go, wow, that's pretty bitching, man. So uh, that was yeah. a, a fuel to, to do the new recording, too, as well. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, uh, another big one, too, that, that made people remember the band, too, was the fact that, you know, um, Fear No Evil was, was on the Metal Massacre album, Metal Massacre 4. True. And I think a lot of people got turned on to, to August Red Moon just from hearing that one song. So that made a huge difference in, in kind of creating the history and and people knowing who the band was and wanting to find out a little bit more. Yeah. Well, Jay, how's the scene in California today? Still pretty vibrant for bands or kind of lacking? Uh, it's kind of lacking right now. There, and like you said earlier, you know, there's so many sub-genres right now where, you know, you go and, and you hear the power metal or the melodic metal or the speed metal, there's, there's so many bands out there and, you know, relatively how it was in, in, um, in the day, you know, most of the time you hear things and, and it, it completely sounds the same. 
it's either a, a, a cookie monster type of singer, you know, growling and grunting, or it's these crazy guys with guitars who are playing, you know, a million notes a second, you know, and, and it's good. There are some really strong bands out there, but you know, you, we can kind of sense that there's a, a, a change going on in the scene where it's getting back to the more melodic. You can, you can, you know, bounce your foot to it. You can bang your head to it. And I think that's starting to come back, but you know, it's, it's, it's all over the board right now. And I think that what we're doing and what, what uh, drums of war represents kind of is hitting home to a lot of people. And, you know, we're getting really great responses from it. And, you know, there's a lot of people who continue to like uh, either like us on Facebook or send messages. And the crazy thing is it's a lot of, it's a lot of people from Europe and a lot of people from like Brazil and South America who really love this music. So it's kind of crazy to think about it. It really is. You know what, guys? I'm going to play some more music. I'm going to let you go. Tell everybody where they can go to buy this great new record you put out. And you have anything coming up right away in the immediate future you want them to know about? you have anything coming up that you want people to know about? Any shows lined up in the immediate future? And where can they buy the record? That's what we want to do. We want to sell this record for you guys. I thought we were going to come over to the radio station at 8 and play. Yeah, Man, I wish what, we could. What, I wish that? I could fly. I, I wish we had the budget to fly <laughs> you guys to New York. <laughs> anybody who's uh, yeah, anybody who's interested in buying it can actually go to either CD Baby. Um, they can download it from iTunes. They can actually buy the CD from CD Baby itself. But then we're also on Amazon.com, and uh, soon to be, we'll be streaming on all of the major uh, um, streaming sites as well. But those are the three sites that you can get it from. And right now Gary's in negotiation for, for working out some, some dates for us to go out and play. So hopefully you'll be able to see some, some videos coming out soon and anything new will, you know, we'll, we'll definitely update you, Mike, because you've been helping us out big time. Uh, hey, that sounds good, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It needs some rock and roll to come to your town. Just let us know. Send us a message. I will do my best to make that happen. <laughs> Right on, right on. Thank you. We're ready to go and play some shows. Hell yeah. Uh, get out of the I'm studio. ready to you see you guys play live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to try to get you here to New York. But you know what? Since you guys were talking about uh, The Only Man on Earth, I'm going to play that one next. Yeah. Right awesome. on, brother. Thank you, man. All right. Gary, All Dave, right, Jake, take care, guys. Thank you. All right. All right. August Red Moon. Love those guys. Love this band. Drums of War, an amazing album. Go to the band's website, order yourself a copy of it. It's some killer stuff. All right, let's get on The Only Man on Earth. Okay, we're not going to get on The Only Man on Earth because the file just came up corrupted. Unbelievable. <laughs> I apologize, guys. You know what? Let's jump into a song by Eden. I will try to re-upload uh, the song if I can and get it on. If not, we'll try to squeeze it on at the end of the show. I don't know what happened. It just, it just came up corrupted on me, the file. I don't know. Maybe because I uploaded it as I was downloading the CD onto the computer. Who the heck knows? All right, let's get on some meeting. Here's Judgment Day. And we'll see if we can get on something off the New August Red Moon after that, if possible.
Brand new August Redmond. It wasn't the song I wanted to play. The file was corrupt on my system, but we managed to get the title track of the record, Drums of War. Luke just called in for the interview. <laughs> he was about a half hour too late. I'm sorry, Luke. I guess the guys forgot to tell you it was at 4.15 uh, your time in, in Cali. Uh, but you know what? We'll do it with those guys once again real soon, and uh, we'll make sure everybody's in sync and online at the same time. Alrighty here. Well, you know what? Falco from Wick Mariah, I spoke to him this week. We'll get that interview on in about 10, 15 minutes or so. We'll try to do some music between now and then. I'm just trying to see who's on the show next week. I know we have an interview with Matt Sinner from Primal Fear and Sinner because I spoke to him the other night uh, before the New York City show for a few minutes, and we'll get that on. I wanted to kind of squeeze it into tonight's show because I had pre-recorded it. Uh, we have a lot of guests on here. But next week, Eric A.K. Knudsen from Flotsam and Jetsam is our guest, as well as Jeff Scott Soto. We got another great show in May. The whole month of May is really looking good. So I'm excited. But I'm excited every week and every month that I get to do this show and hang out with my boys in the chat. We did a whole bunch of requests before from last week. Everybody asked for a band they wanted to hear. Uh, Dave wanted to hear uh, Enforcer. Iman wanted to hear Majesty. John wanted to hear Attitude Adjustment. And I was hoping Chiron wouldn't show up tonight because I'm going to hate to play the band he wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, just not a big fan of it, but you know what? He requested it, so I kind of have to get it on. All right, but you know what? Maybe before we do that, maybe we should just like pull the band, you know, rip the bandaid off right away, and uh, and, and play the song, and then we'll get into some brand new vods and have a record out called Red Eye. Uh, before that, Karen, you wanted to hear Slaufeg. <laughs> Here's Warriors Dawn. I don't know if you were just breaking my chops and asking for this request, or you really like this, shit, but here you go, it's for you.
dead man
Come on.
Hot damn, that was a hot mess. Canada's basement said, play some poison from Germany. There you go. That was Black Death off their first demo tape, Sons of Evil, from back in 1984. Uh, Iman, you're right. It sounds like they're chanting at a Hitler Youth rally in that song. Oh, what other show can you hear? Raven, Pat Travis, King Cobra, August Red Moon, and Forza, Majesty. I even have to mention Slough Feg after that. <laughs> and Poison. All right, let's get on one more tune. We'll play some Wicked Mariah. We'll get that interview on that we had with Falco this week. And then we're going to wrap up today's show. So uh, let's see. Uh, how about some, uh, I don't know. Let me see. How about some Onslaught? Blood Upon the Ice.
All right, Onslaught, Blood Upon the Ice with Steve Grimman on vocals. A lot of people weren't crazy about that record. The band was going in a more commercial direction, a more commercial direction. Cy wasn't in the group anymore. They brought Steve Grimman in. I, even I didn't care for that record when it came out back in the day uh, in search of sanity. Uh, but over the years, I've kind of gotten into it. And they have the sanity days right now, the old drummer from Onslaught and Steve Grimmett. I don't know what's coming out of it or what's happening with that project that I banned. I know it was supposed to be a new record out. I don't even know if it ever came out or not. Right now, Steve is focused on his version of Grim Reaper. They just wrapped up a tour here in the U.S. And I believe they're going into the studio to record a new record. So I'm kind of curious to see what they come up with after like 25 years of not having any recordings out. And with really mostly the, you know, Nick Bocat's not in the band anymore. It's just Steve and a whole bunch of new kids so i'm curious to see what they come up with uh i guess we're going to find out by the end of the year all right let's get on a tune by wicked mariah this comes off the band's newest record which is kind of an old record in a way and we'll talk more about that when i get the interview on but it's off of lifetime in hell on massacre records well i tell you doing these three hour shows is really getting draining i liked it when we just did two hours <laughs> by a lot quicker all right but never mind that all right, let's get on a tune from the record. And right after that, we're going to an interview I did with the singer Falco this week and be kind of caught up on everything that's been going on with the band over the last 20-something years. All right, here you go. Fall from Grace. Look around. Do you see?
Lou Falco, can you hear me? How's it going, man? All right, doing great. I don't have the camera on. I'm sorry. No, that's all good. All good. All right, man. It's good talking with you today. Listen, big fan going back to the Mystic days. I'm, really? Oh, yeah. I still got that demo tape. It was a big tape trader back in the 80s. Still have that. Oh, man. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm really thrilled that you guys, you know, decided a couple of years ago to put this back together again. And now, kind of like, I like the press release, a new old record. Yep. Yes, <laughs> that, indeed. That, that's really cool, man. I'm glad that you guys are finally getting that first record out. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. This is great. Uh, anytime. So how did it all come about? I mean, let's get back to, we'll go back maybe to the early days. We'll start there. All right. You had Mystic Wires, like around the mid-80s, I want to say? Yeah, we started in, I'm going to say... 83, uh, and I always tell the story. I wasn't even in the band. Uh, Mike and John IDVO, you know, brothers, guitar yeah. and bass, they started the band. Uh, their brother James actually was on drums, and another friend of ours, Steve, was the guitar player and the singer. And, you know, they were getting the band together because, you know, we had, uh, you know, friends of ours from Long Island, a band called Nightfire, were, uh, you know, were, were a you know, popular band. So we figured, you know, everyone was like, well, you know, let's get in a band. And I, uh, I wasn't even the band, just sat and watched, you know, watched everyone rehearse. And one day they were going to do like a show for about, say, maybe 10 or 13 people down in the basement. And Steve got kind of stage fright, didn't want to sing. So I jumped up and said, well, you know what? I'm a ham. I've always been kind of a, you know, I like the center of attention. So I'll sing. Couldn't sing to save my life. Yeah. But I said, let's have some fun and, uh, did a bunch of covers that at one point we did Paranoid and, uh, Mike and John's uh, parents had this like an ice bucket that was like an owl and the head would open and close. So I took that like I was biting the head off <laughs> and you know, it just was fun. And everyone was like, well, you know what? We'll become a five piece. I kind of just got the singer role. Like I said, singer was a term used very loosely for many years <laughs> from that. But uh, that was kind of how the band started. And we, you know, started doing the roller rink circuit. I mean, we opened, you know, back in the day, uh, the legends Takashi Ninja, they were, you know, Long Island staples. And, you know, we did the uh, open for them. We were like their permanent opening act around Long Island. And, uh, you know, we, we stayed like that for a couple of years. And then, in, you know, a couple of band, you know, lineup changes. And in 88, uh, John and Mike's cousin Dan joined the band. And uh, also we got Knack, our drummer, who we'd known for years for playing around the area. So we, uh, you know, we the, the, the Wicked Mariah lineup as it is today was solidified in about 88. 89 and uh you know started formulating our sound you know end of the 80s we were very thrash influenced and then it just slowly evolved into what is now out today uh on the two new songs on lifetime and hell record i think it's a pretty wild uh cycle so to speak oh absolutely i find it funny that you never really considered yourself a singer and i guess you know back in the old days when you were a kid i mean any instrument you could pick up or anything you could do to get into a band you wanted to do just to be a part of a band but based yeah. on your performance of all the years and the albums you would never know that singing didn't come natural to you no oh i appreciate it yeah no i always tell people i mean some people get mad when i say it but i'm the first to admit i tell people i'm an entertainer who can sing you know luckily you know and and it was a lot of it was a lot of work, you know, to, you know, to, to get where I am to what I can do. I mean, you know, uh, you tell other singers, you know, do a scale and they'll nail something. You ask me about a scale and I'll say, I stepped on one this morning to see, you know, what I weigh. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I, but I'm, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I was able to kind of combine it. You know, I, I always say I'm an entertainer who can sing. And luckily, you know, some, sometimes I do it well. So that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, if you go back to that time when you finally became Wicked and Mariah from, uh, from Mystic, there were quite a few name changes. You went to Just Mariah, back to Wicked and Mariah. I mean, 
did you think it was detrimental by change? I mean, it wasn't much of a difference between the two, but what was the reason behind it? Well, I think I think the name change. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, opinions vary uh, within the band. You know, as always happens with a band. But I think, right? You know, I mean, with Cycles as Wicked Mariah, I thought we, considering from where we came from, I, I thought we had a really, really cool amount of success. I mean, you know, the the CD came out. You know, I mean, we 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 got signed from the demo tape that we did out in LA, which we did after Lifetime in Hell, which I'm sure we'll get to. But you know, it it was. Things were great. I mean, we toured with Metal Church. We toured with Ingve. We did all these opening slots for these bands. And, you know, but it was at that time where, you know, it was a weird scene. I mean, grunge kind of sort of really hitting in, in the early to mid-90s. And I, I think uh, we were kind of figuring, well, you know, we wanted to make it in America. You know, where where back then it was like, you know, America or Europe. It, you know, it, it was kind of like one place where you try to make it. So I think we kind of de- uh, maybe demetalified a little bit, if that's the right word. You know, we, we took the wicked off. We went to Mariah. I think No Hope for Humanity has a, a little bit, a little different sound. I mean, a little bit of different production, maybe a, a little more raw, stripped down. You know, the vocal styling might have been a drop different. And then with Counterculture, we kind of went in a different direction. It was a little heavier, but, you know, it was still a little different from Cycles. But I think, uh, yeah, we, we changed the name definitely to try to maybe break into America, which in hindsight... You know, I, I've always said it, and even a lot of interviews I do, any band that wants to just do what they do, you got to stay true to yourself. And I think, uh, which is why we're back to Wicked Mariah, and I think the two new songs kind of have a very Cycles-esque sound to them because we're back to just doing what we do. And we weren't not trying to fit in or not trying to maybe just hone our way into a certain direction, which I think back, you know, around the time of the second record, we might have tried to do you know, for many reasons, you know, I mean, you know, you, you want to make it, you know, you have this taste of success, but, you know, so yeah, so the name change was, uh, you know, was part of that, but I am, I'm very happy. And I think the band as a whole, all five of us are happy that we're back as Wicked Mariah and we've got the sound that kind of, I think carries on, it bridges from cycles, which I think was our most successful, you know, up to date uh, album or mostly known for. So we kind of wanted to get that vibe back because it was, it was a great time and it was a great just a great feeling around that time. So we're all kind of back in that zone. Well, that's good to know. Well, like you were saying, uh, staying true to yourself, and that's a big thing. But, you know, you go back to the 80s. I mean, I don't think anybody saw what was going to come into the 90s with grunge and everything else. And things start changing around you, and you want to stay relevant, and you also want to make this like your career. So you kind of make decisions then back then that seemed like they were a small thing to do. That Later on, you say, hey, why the hell did we do that? But, you you know, you can't look back later on and, and say, why did we do what we did? You just did because that's how you felt at the time. Yeah, no, exactly. Because like you said, it it was, you know, metal was riding high. I mean, it was great. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the Seattle scene hit, which I mean, I loved, I loved a lot of the music, but all of a sudden you look and see it basically was like a tornado that just kind of really cut through the metal scene. And, and, you know, you would see bands that, you know, maybe last year at the time were, you know, riding, you know, the wave and they were, you know, doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden they're playing to like 11 people in a club and he, we are just coming up. So it was like, you know, like you said, you know, looking back, you could have, you know, I have a million answers to why we did it now. But, you know, at the time too, you know, you say, well, we want to stay relevant. We kind of want to make this our career. So we did what we thought was necessary, you know, whether, you know, as a band, we always made a majority rules decision, whether some agreed, some didn't agree. It was like, let's, let's go for it. I mean, no regrets, you know, I mean, it is what it is. You, you can't look back, you know, so that's why, you know, where we're at now, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's a good pickup, but 
it was a kind of a confusing time, I think, back then. Definitely for, you know, everyone in the metal scene because you sat and went, whoa, what happened? <laughs> exactly. It was like that for everybody. It, it yeah. was really rough. But, I mean, that was just the beginning of the changes for everything in the music business. I mean, 10 years later from that, you know, they came out with called MP3s. iTunes, yep. all that shit came about, and, and it changed again, but this time on the on the business end of it. So do you think the band would have survived the, like the those like 10 to 15 years throughout the 90s into the 2000s where, I mean, the whole the scene and the business just was like an upheaval. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we might've, I, I do think we would have actually, you know, cause like I said, we've got a lot of friends who, when they kind of just did, you know, st stuck true to what they did. I mean, they're still doing it today. And, you know, I mean, I mean, we are now too. People tell me, you know, you guys are still doing it today, but we had that, you know, slight 18 year coffee break that we took. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think had we just stayed, you know, stayed the course, uh, we probably would have had a little more success in Europe. And I think that would have kept us right. You know, that, that would have kept us going because, you know, a lot of bands that are still around today made, they might not have made a living, but they stayed, they kept that aspect and that, you know, that wing of their life and their career going because Europe was still rolling and, you know, you could still go over there. You could still play a couple of times a year, you know, but in our case, I mean, we just felt since, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we were kind of at a standstill. We just figured, for us, it was best to just say, we'll take a break and we'll come revisit this, you know, uh, a little bit later. I, I don't think any of us thought it would be this much later, but yeah. I'm happy about it. I'm glad. Yeah, when you look at the cycles of music, it's amazing. I mean, every European band, every band from outside of America wanted to come here in the 80s, break big, make it. This is where you made your bones. And all these years later, everybody from here has to go over to Europe now to kind of like stay relevant and make it. Because the scene here, better than it was, you know, over the last 20 years, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's hotter again. But it just was so trendy here. We just like throw things away, like, you know, like metal. Oh, that's that was yesterday. Today it's this. You know, it's like we're so trendy. Oh, exa exactly, exactly. I, and I think you know, which uh, I agree with what you said. I mean, now I, I think it is definitely a lot better from when like we, you know, I last because I feel like I'm in a time warp. You know, all of a sudden I'm back into it. I'm doing these great, you know, interviews and talking to all these great people and stuff. And it's like, but, you know, time warping back to when, like, we were kind of coming to the end of Wicked Mariah, or Mariah, as it were, at the time. Yeah, it was very trendy. It was like, you know, when you go to Europe, it was great. I mean, people still had their leather jackets with the patches, and they knew the music, and they genuinely appreciated you. I mean, they, you know, you could sit and have a discussion with someone, and they knew, like, they loved, you know, how you, why I did a vocal inflection on this one verse of one song and you'd sit and it was great. Yeah. And like you said, you'd play in America and it was, well, what song's on the radio today? Okay, good. Goodbye. Next, next, next. And it was like our head would spin because you'd sit just when you even thought, all right, we kind of grasped what's happening. We're in the zone. Two weeks later, it would be, it's gone. And you go, wait, what happened? Yeah. You know, wild. you know, now I like now, at least now it's, you know, and, and there's, like I always say, there's the advantages and disadvantages to like, you know, the advent of the technology and the Internet. I mean, now, in a way, it's pretty cool because we're able to do stuff like this and, you know, you're able to really just listen to what you want. And if this is what you dig, it's out there. People can like it and who likes it will like it and who doesn't you can always click and go somewhere else and there's something else for you. So, 
you know, pluses and minuses, the yin and the yang, I guess. Yeah, but but it's like that with everything in life. I mean, like it says, 20 years ago, you do an interview with Metal Forces, Kerrang, Rip Magazine. You say yeah. a couple of words and millions of people heard it. Now yeah. today you got to do a thousand of these interviews talking to schmucks like me over and ah. over again to reach the same type of audience. But, you know, we've moved into that kind of age now. You click a button and some kid in Indonesia is hearing a song you wrote five minutes ago. It's amazing to that aspect. Yeah, I mean, last night it was wild. I mean, I, you know, I, I was... You know, uh, checking around, and I mean, I'm listening to us on a Russian station, a, a Portuguese station. I mean, so it's pretty cool. At least, you know, back then it was like you wouldn't even know where you were getting played. So, like you said, you know, pluses and minuses, I guess. Yeah, and all of those stations come out of Brooklyn, New York, probably. Beautiful, I know, right? <laughs> Well, look, the good news is that Lifetime in Hell is, is finally out. I mean, how did it come about that the first thing you recorded never really saw the light of day? Yeah, it, it's funny. You know, our, our our newest CD is actually our first CD, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Well, you know, we, we recorded uh, the CD. I mean, we had gotten a small a record deal with like a small independent label right around 8990. And, uh, you know, they... they had some connections down at Mara Sound, which at the time was, I mean, legendary for, you know, yeah. the death metal. And uh, originally it was Scott Burns who was, uh, you know, being mentioned to do the production. So we had started, you know, you know, I, we'd heard of, obviously heard of Scott, but, you know, started listening to some of his stuff. And I remember we were all going, wow, this is pretty extreme compared to what we do. And then somehow through, you know, which I always say was a great luck, you know, twist of fate or a stroke of good luck, Jim Morris got involved and, you know, Jim produced bands like Ice to Earth and Sabotage and, you know, bands like that, which kind of was more our speed. And and I was happy because I'd always loved the Sirens record with Sabotage and, you know, John Oliva's vocals on that. Just, you know, the, the reverb and the delay and it just it always just sounded haunting. And when I found out we were working with Jim Morris, I was out of my mind because I, I just thought it was great. And, you know, we went down to Morrisound and, you know, we're down there for about a month, you know, I mean, did pre-production and, you know, Jim really helped us honing our craft, you know, with songwriting. I mean, I, I always say you can kind of tell the progression. You can hear where we were on Lifetime in Hell. I mean, there was, you know, a lot of thrash influence. It was a little more raw. The vocals were a little more straightforward. You know, you say, quote unquote, metal. But you can also hear a lot of the the uh i said at the time experimental vibe that would you know creep its way into cycles with like you know the original version of johnny you know the 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 vocals that were kind of the double layered and not just the all-out metal raunchy singing there was like the moody vocals and some of the ethereal vocals like on you know uh, the bridge to river runs black and you know on the calling a little different vocal style and you know, it, it was a great experience because you know, like I said again, I wasn't a natural singer, so Jim really had a lot to do with formulating, bringing out parts of me that I hadn't even known. You know, I, I think the guys in the band really were, you know, they they kind of had, you know, they they had like the focus. I mean, they knew, you know, the, the double guitar harmonies and and the songwriting. I thought was you know was amazing, and you know, but with me, I, I like I always said, you know, maybe a little self deprecating. I always felt I was just not up to there. And then working with Jim really, you know, helped me out and brought me out. And then, of course, just brought the whole band up with, you know, well, we did this, but wow, we never thought of doing it this way. So that was a great experience. And then right when we were done, we were all pumped up. The independent label kind of folded (laughs) and left us with this finished product that was, you know, luckily paid for. I mean, we own the masters, you know, at the time, the big, big boxes of tape that, you know, that that we brought home. And it kind of just sat. 
because you know right you know it was we had it lined up and then everything was ready to go and it just folded so we were kind of sitting there going all right what do we do now but we, we were really proud of what we did so at that time we went out to LA for about a year and we figured you know if we're gonna if we're gonna make a, a splash let, let's head out to LA and uh you know do something a little different and obviously we were the heaviest band on Sunset Strip right at that time I mean you know we came and you know, knock the walls down on every venue because you know, everyone was kind of trying to ride that, you know, even though it was early 90s, still trying to ride that Motley Crue wave. You had like the, you know, some people say like the D and C level bands. I mean, they were like, you know, the 15th generation Motley Crues <laughs> out there on the strip, which was all good. But we showed up and we were like, a, I mean, a freight train, you know, with playing the whole Lifetime in Hell record live on the strip. And it created a great buzz, you know, but unfortunately just didn't you know, didn't pick up the record deal. So while we were out there in LA, the guys started writing, you know, songs, which turned out to be cycles. And, you know, we demoed out there after about a year living out there, Jim Morris came out and we demoed um, another day forever resurrection uh, alone and sign of heaven. And that got just a great vibe. And, and that turned into the, you know, what, what started shopping for the new label and when we got the deal with Mausoleum, it was so far removed from Lifetime in Hell, we just kind of, it was like the forgotten child that got, you know, put away somewhere and never to be, you know, kind of, it was like the, the brother on Happy Days yeah. that went up, to, <laughs> went up to the attic and, he, and he, Chuck never came back. Chuck never came back. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But when, when you did get signed to Mausoleum, was there an attempt in the beginning to try to get the album released or did you just... Just say, you know what, let's just go with what we have now and, and, and start fresh again. Did it get put on the back burner completely? Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I, I can't honestly tell you why. I don't think any of us can. It's just we figured, you know what, we're riding with cycles. Let's go with it. And I mean, you know, for me, I mean, I guess I can say, I mean, maybe at the time looking back, I liked what we did so much with cycles and the evolution of how we sounded, you know, and mostly me. Like I said, I, I kind of liked where my vocals were on cycles and i figured you know what this it sounded a little more i mean it you know just different and and I, I really liked a lot more of the textures you know and and i figured it, it got such a great review you know response we said let's just go with this and yeah it, it just there was never even any attempt i don't think on our end to even bring up lifetime in hell and like i said just only until a couple of years ago when we were all sitting around going Wow, we have this finished product here, you know. But at the time, at the time, we just rode, you know, we rode the wave, and and we had a, you know, a nice run for a couple of years with, you know, what what we did with cycles. So we just figured, let's let's go with this. Was that the original title for the record from the very beginning? Cycles, uh, no, yeah, no, no, lifetime in hell. I'm sorry, lifetime in yeah, hell. Yeah, lifetime in hell. It was, it, you know, we 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 kind of stick with what we know. Yeah, I mean, 25 years later, it's same title. Because it's, it kind of fits like when you think about the record being shelved for so many years, it was like being in hell. And, yep. you know, it's kind of, you know, it, it's weird in a way like that. Yeah, it, it it spent its time in purgatory. It was in hell. And, you know, and, and now it's back. You know, it's back up. But, yeah, it, it definitely, uh, you know, I, I liked, you know, when, when I wrote lyrics and stuff, I like to try to, not that we were by any means like a social commentary band, but, you know, at the time, you know, there's always, you know, stuff in the world going on or just anything that kind of, you know, is not the best. So that, that was the vibe of some of the songs on that album. And the title just sounded good. And, you know, we figured 25 years later, you know, especially stuff going on in the world today is not much different. So we figured, why change it? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it, it's been a while, about six or seven years since you guys kind of put the group back together. 
Yeah, it, it's it's been a long stretch. I mean, you know, we've got the longest reunion get together in history, I think. Um, <laughs> about 2000, I'm going to say, I think 11, I, even before I, I got into Facebook anyway, I mean, MySpace was out and I posted uh, you know, Sounds of Evil on, on that page. And and it started getting a buzz. And the funny thing is, I mean, you know, f- for those who don't know, I'll, I'll, you know, give it again. I mean, we're basically family. I mean, John and Mike and I grew up three doors away from each other. And Dan, obviously, is their cousin. So, I mean, we've all known each other since as long as I can remember. And, you know, Knack, like I said, played around the, uh, the Long Island area with different bands. So, we're basically a family. So honestly, we couldn't get rid of each other. Yeah. I mean, even though the band was done, we would talk, you know, at least once a week, if not more, you know, things would come up. We talk, you know, when I go, you know, cause I'm down in Florida now, but when, you know, I'd pop back up to New York, I mean, we'd all get together, you know, just, and then with the advent of Facebook and everything, I mean, we always kept in touch. So there was always the, we got to do this. We, we got to come back. But you know, in all honesty, you know, the music scene, like you said, you know, changed so much over the years and everyone was kind of doing their own thing. We just figured, well, when the time is right, if it ever happens, you know, we'll get together. But, you know, so on that aspect, we're not weren't like a normal band where we were just like guys who got thrown together. I mean, we've been in and out of each other's lives our whole life. I mean, we were, you know, there from the beginning. So, like I said, about 2011, I posted, uh, you know, or like I said, maybe sooner I, I posted uh, uh Sounds of Evil, I think, on the MySpace page. Yeah. And then I posted it on Facebook as well. And, you know, started getting, you know, with, with the advent of, of the, you know, the worldwide interweb, as I like to call it, you know, the <laughs> internet, started getting these little messages like, hey, did Wicked Mariah record a new song? Hey, what's this? And, you know, some magazines, some fanzines, and, and some small independent labels started coming around saying, what is this? And, you know, again, in early 90s when we did this, the internet was just in its infancy. So, I mean, people didn't know. You know, there were only a handful of people knew about Lifetime in Hell. I mean, we did a couple of showcases in Manhattan and then the people out in L.A., which we had the demo tape that circulated. So the rest of the world, you know, really wasn't familiar. So, you know, I, I talked to the guys and I said, you know, we're getting a little bit of a buzz here. You know, what, what do we think? And we said, well, you know, let's see what happens. And it drips and drabs. I mean, you know, it's funny. I went on a couple of uh, news groups the other day and you could see posts from back in like 2010. And people are like. Wicked Mariah, rumblings of a comeback, rumblings of a comeback. And I was laughing going, God, did we procrastinate? I mean, it took us too long. <laughs> but, you know, right, you know, a couple of years ago, we, we all decided, I said, you know, this is, we've got a full record. And we all said, what are we doing? You know, it, it's the day and age where we can, you know, let's put it out. What what could it hurt? I mean, you know, it, it, it can't hurt. So we all decided, A, if we were going to do this, we were going to do it, the five of us. Because with the counterculture record, Mike kind of took a little uh, a hiatus. And at that, you know, we were a four piece for that CD. But we all sat down and said, if we do this, we're doing it, the five of us, like we're supposed to. And then, you know, John was very adamant about, we got to do new material. We have to put something that, you know, is fresh. And we were all into it. You know, we all said, we're not going to, try to sound like anything but what we sound like. And we're going to be, as I've always, you know, that phrase that I use, true. We're going to be true to ourselves. We're going to write and have it sound the way it sounds. And personally, just on a personal note, I mean, I couldn't be more happy with the two songs. I mean, I think they're, a, you know, a really cool representation of where we're at today. You know, I mean, Suicidal, uh, Suicidal Dawn especially. I mean, that just has all the elements, I think, of what Wicked Mariah was with the the moody vocals, the kind of the heavy groove and the, 
nice little, you know, little harmony guitar solo in there and a little of the vocal harmonies and just a nice fat sound. And uh, and Fall From Grace, too, I, I kind of I kind of push for that one because I said we really haven't had a heavy, heavy song in, in quite a while. And I think it's a nice kind of a nice bookend to Lifetime in Hell because there's some songs on Lifetime in Hell, especially Blackout, that, you know, a lot of people had no idea we could have been that heavy, you know, and, you know, we were, you know, we, we could be heavy and we could throw the double bass in and we could come in like a locomotive once in a while. So I'm really happy with the way the two new songs sound. And, uh, you know, it's a nice springboard to where we're going to go in the future, you know, so pretty excited about it. Yeah. Well, I tell you, they sound like the band, what the band would have sounded like today, I think, if you guys have never broken up. I think if you were putting out records continuously over the last two decades, that's what you, that's where you would have been, I think, today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and that's what we were kind of going for. We said, let's just, be, because, you know, we did what we do, as opposed to, you know, maybe experimenting or, which is cool. You know, bands do that. Some bands are very successful at it. And, you know, some bands, it just, it doesn't work. But we all sat down and said, if we're going to do this, let's do what we do. So we can at least say, hey, this is, this is where we're at. And if people dig it, cool. And if they don't, you know, hey, we gave it a shot. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really pumped about the response we've gotten, you know, like you said, to the old new record. I mean, even some of the people with Lifetime in Hell, they hear some of the songs and they're like, it holds up. And, and, you know, me, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard for me to tell because I hear it. And to me, it's like, okay, it's the 1991 CD, you know, and it's kind of maybe hard to separate a little, but the response we've been getting from everyone, you know, with the old and the new songs, I mean, we're, we're very appreciative. I'll tell you right now. I mean, and again, I'll, if I haven't said it, thank you just for doing this and having us on and, you know, for the support. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of surreal is the word that's been thrown around a lot lately. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you guys. I'm I'm hoping that you guys come back with a couple of shows. I mean, I know you're not going to go on these massive tours or anything like you used to, but it'd be nice if you could like maybe hit some of the festivals. We got a few of them coming here in the U.S. that are pretty good right now, and maybe doing a couple of shows in the bigger cities. It would be fantastic to see you guys live. Well, b- believe me, I can say we are we're gung ho for it. And the, the one difference about the music scene now that we're finding out, which is a little bit of a rude awakening, because. All of those years, like you said, back in the day, at least Europe, you could, you know, get over there. And, and like we did, we, uh, you know, Cycles came out, the, the tour was hooked up, we were ready to go. Well, the difference now is um, labels, and I have to say, Massacre, you know, has been great to us. I mean, you know, like I said, they, they stepped up when we started shopping, you know, uh, you know when we decided we were going to do this. And we, and we, you know, uh, started shopping it and, you know, put our little ghost page on the website. And we got quite a few offers from labels massacre really shared the vision that we had and you know we were very happy with what they wanted to do so you know they're behind it and the promotion and everything is really great but the only difference is now and not just massacre most independent labels or you know even bigger labels they don't get involved in the touring much anymore which i i was unaware of again because you know being out of the scene for so long so right now um it's basically the bands have to get their own booking agents. And I mean, you know, the, you know, Massacre gave us a, a lot of leads and a lot of contacts. But right now, uh, we're ready to go. I mean, you know, we just need a couple of rehearsals and we're going to play. But we're still searching, believe it or not, for a booking agent. Um, the scene's a little different. I mean, we've gotten great response from booking agents, especially in Europe. I mean, they're happy the band is back. They're very excited about the product. But it's kind of a almost a wait and see attitude. And they're like, you know, we'll talk a little bit. You know, uh, there is talk about getting us on some of the festivals next year and, you know, maybe some of those metal cruises. But it's 
it's it's a little strange because you know back in the day it was well you know you knew you were in Europe boom and now uh, what we're finding out is um, the market isn't as strong as it once was and you know I mean we're we're honest with ourselves I mean we're not delusional we've been gone eighteen years so you know it, it may not be you know right now the prime time for us to go over there but believe me we're we're looking I mean you know any booking agents out there listening which I'm sure there are. You know, we are ready to talk. Let's uh, let's get silly. We want to. Uh, and like you said, you know, it, it, the days of going out for two, three months at a time, you know, I mean, unless you're certain size bands, I mean, it, it's hard. You can't do it. But I mean, you know, a good 10, you know, 10 to 14 days or two, three weeks. We, you know, we, we've actually all cleared our schedules. And now we're just sitting here like, you know, we're like that girl who's waiting for the date to show up on the stoop. We're like, <laughs> you know, we're here. Hey, you know, we're ready to, you know, we're yeah. ready to go. I mean, honestly, we've got the set list ready. We've got, you know, we, we've got ideas. I mean, in my head every day, I sit and vi I can visualize a show. I'm ready to go. And, you know, luckily, the good thing is, you know, even though we haven't been together, I mean, the last show we did was, geez, almost 18 years ago. For the, for the better part of that time, I've been singing. You know, I still sing down here in Florida four or five times a month. I play, you know, the guys are still involved. I mean, John has his studio, uh, Front Row Recording. Dan has his studio up Soundmind up in Pennsylvania. Uh, Knack still plays. So, I mean, we've all, it's never left our blood. So, I mean, now it's just a matter of, you know, I do covers down here. I'm ready to go back to doing our material. So, yeah, I mean, I echo your words, Mike, man. I mean, we want to play. I'm, I'm greedy now. I'm hungry. I want to get out and bust these songs out because, you know, it, it's been a long time. And luckily, you know, again, on a selfish note, I can still sing our old material, which is a pretty, pretty good thing because yeah. that, was, that kind of would have been a little bit of a, a bump in the road if I really couldn't sing you know say something off cycles or even lifetime in hell you know and and actually it's funny you know as the years have gone on my voice has lended itself to lifetime in hell is actually really comfortable it's gotten a little raspier my voice has gotten a little you know maybe even a little deeper so you know i'm ready to go out there and shred it so we are hoping that is that is the next step i mean you know massacre has shown extreme interest in having us do a full length you know so possibly next year we'll get you know an actual full length record out but we really want to play. So, you know, anyone out there in the uh, in the interweb world and who's a booking agent or is, you know, wants to get Wicked Mariah over to Europe or even some festivals over here in America, drop a line, man. We're ready to go. I'm ready to see. I think the last time I caught you live was right after Cycles came out. I, I want It was in Manhattan. It was that place. It used to be the old church. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, limelight. Limelight. That was at the Limelight, man. That was like 20, 20 something years ago. Let me tell you, I just posted. I don't know if you saw it. I just posted a video. Because John started going through the archives now, and I posted a video of us doing Resurrection from that show, from the Limelight show. On Facebook? I, I got to yeah, look for post, that. Yeah, I posted it on the Facebook page, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, we're going to do a lot more of that, too, because, I mean, I've got every one of our shows on VHS tape over here, which I busted out the box. Nice. And we're going to start, I'm going to start doing some converting and, you know, start throwing up just some videos. We're going to go through the whole retrospective of what we did. You know, but yeah, we posted that Limelight video. I mean, it was a great show, killer time, man. I mean, Limelight was a an interesting place to play. It was great. Yeah, it came at a perfect time because my daughter was born a few weeks before that. I couldn't take the crying room. I had to get out of the house one night. So <laughs> it worked out, worked out perfect. <laughs> Excellent, man. Excellent. Hey, hey well, I'm not going to keep you much longer, man. I appreciate you talking with me today. The new old album is out, finally, on Massacre Records. And I'm hoping for a lot more from you guys in the future because it's great to have you back again. Hey, Mike, man, I got to tell you, I appreciate it. I mean, you going back to the mystic days, I mean, you know, 
it's great. I mean, it's great talking from a fellow New Yorker. I mean, you know, I, I hear you talk and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm back home now. This is nice. <laughs> this is great. But I mean, thanks for all you do for all the bands. I mean, with the radio show and doing this stuff and, and you know, bringing us on. I mean, you know, like I said, we, we went out for coffee and we came back 18 years later. So, I mean, and, and the interest <laughs> is still there. And, you know, I can't say thank you enough, man. I mean, we'll keep in touch now. And, you know, as soon as we hear something, for everyone out there listening, I mean, you know, the website, to make it easier, wickedmariah.com. It's got all the links to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, just follow us. And, you know, like I said, Lifetime in Hell is out on Massacre. Uh, the official U.S. release for those like who want to find it in stores will be May 6th. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about hopefully, I mean, we are talking about maybe doing like a record release show uh, in New York. I mean, even if we can't get a tour together, we're trying to uh, maybe even if we formulate one show, we'll have a nice, uh, nice crazy night. So I'm sure I'll see you if we do it, you know, we'll get together and we'll hang out. And uh, but, you know, that right now we're talking about that. So we'll see what happens if we do it. Obviously, we'll do it in New York. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But Dude, man, I mean, you know, again, I just can't say thanks enough. I love doing this. And, you know, we could sit, you know, I feel like I've known you for, well, I, I probably have known you for about, you know, how long, 30 years. <laughs> That's so what it seems is, like. Yeah, this is great, man. You know, just thanks to everyone. Uh, unbelievable, man. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure. We'll do this again soon. I'll be front and center if you make it to New York for that show. Oh, hell yeah. All right, man. Great, Mike. <laughs> you take care. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. See you soon, man. Take care.
All right, Wicked Marai with Tomorrow's Child. I tell you, I love those guys. What a great band. I'm such a big fan of this. It was really great talking to Falco. Pick up the album, which on Massacre Records, Lifetime in Hell. It doesn't get any better than that. All right, we're down to the last minute. We're going to wrap things up here tonight. I want to thank my guest. I want to thank Falco. We spoke during the week. Uh, I wish we could have did it live, but sometimes, you know, press set up interviews ahead of time and we go for it. But it was great talking. I also want to thank Carmine of Peace. I want to thank Dave, Gary, and Jay from August Redmond for calling on tonight. Luke called in a little too late, uh, but you know what? We'll have him on the next time. Not a problem. But don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. we got another great show. Call Kennedy of the Raj and his latest band, St. James. He'll be on the show next week. A.K. Knudsen from Flotsam and Jetsam and Matt Center from Center and Primal Fear. All right, I'll see you guys later on. Thank you like always. Have a great week, everybody. It's weird not saying I'll see you guys on Thursday for the Metal Matinee. It's been a whole month since we ended that, but I still have it in my head. But thank you, guys. Have a great work week. I will see you next Sunday night. Take care. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.